Stuff Podcasts. Hello, a quick content warning. This series is about sex, in case you just press play without looking at the title. There's also some swearing and some bits that could make you laugh out loud on the bus, so consider yourselves warned. Some names in this series have been changed. This podcast was made with the support of New Zealand On Air. All you reality TV lovers, we've got an extra special episode of The Girls Uninterrupted with our very own Aisha Scott from the latest season of Below Deck Mediterranean, all thanks to Hey You, the best of reality TV. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. What do you reckon aliens would think of us if they got access to the internet? I'm your daddy. Dude, I am actually horny too. You guys say sit on our face. Do you mean sit or hover? One thing's for sure, they'd get some pretty interesting insights into the ways humans think about sex and love. On one knee, opening the ring box. They want this man to come and to sweep them off their feet. Don't nag that you miss him. What? You guys gay? This is my working on yourself. You have to spend a lot of time, 10, 15 years to do it. But they wouldn't get the whole picture. Because as much as we love to share all the funny, loved-up, horny goodness, there's a lot we keep to ourselves. Now, let's imagine these aliens don't need the internet because they can read our minds. How would the picture change? Is this happening to everyone? Like, is everyone having a bad time? I've had so much sex that has been riddled with anxiety. I'm terrified of vaginas, including my own. I'm really horny. We're not having enough sex. Of course sex is fun, and silly, and hot, and a whole lot of great things. But for a lot of people, it's also really hard, or embarrassing, or shameful. And it can be really difficult to talk about. I don't even know how to say, this is actually too far for me. But what would happen if we did talk about it? How might it change our experiences of sex and love to hear from other people who are struggling with the same things? I was like, I think I am bisexual. I feel unwanted. I'm going to lose the erection. Or who've gone through it and come out the other side. Okay, bro, I know this looks really good on camera, but this doesn't feel good to a human being. In this series, we're going to talk about it. All of it. The love and relationship stuff, as well as the awkward, weird sex stuff. We're going to hear from real people dealing with real issues, as well as experts from here in Aotearoa and overseas. You need to have a partner that's willing to grow. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Single people and couples, through dating, marriage, divorce, and back to dating again. And if I've done my job right, whoever you are, you're going to hear stories that make you feel seen and less alone, as well as others that open you up to whole new ways of thinking. Literally everything you were taught early in your life, like in the first 20 years about sex, was fundamentally both wrong and wrong-headed. Together, we're going to answer the questions. What is good sex? What's a good relationship? And how on earth do we find them? I'm Melody Thomas, and this is The Good Sex Project. I should probably introduce myself properly, seeing as I've been talking at you for a couple of minutes like a bad Tinder date. I'm Melody, 
and sex and relationships are two of my favourite subjects. They always have been. For the past four years, I've been talking to people about their sex and love lives, as well as reading every blog, book and interview I can get my hands on. So I'm not an expert expert, but I've learned a lot. And most importantly, because I'm a journalist, I know how to ask questions when I'm not sure. But here's one thing I do know. This stuff is more important than we give it credit for. Our relationships have the power to make us incredibly happy or totally miserable, often both. They are such huge parts of most of our lives, and yet we are given so few tools for how to navigate it all. Both the weird and wonderful act of getting naked alongside someone, but also how to make a long-term relationship work, how to argue, how to handle jealousy, when to keep at it, and when to quit. So, we all just muddle along as best we can, and a lot of the time we figure it out, eventually. But we learn some tough lessons along the way. I think the time that I lost my virginity, I was still drunk. Mm, Sound familiar? And I came home, and I was like, guess who just had sex? And my mum was like, aren't you too young? And I was like, no, everyone's had it. Like, I waited till I was 18. Maybe you're classier than me, but for a lot of people, this is how it goes. Mum's like... Okay, uh, was he nice then? And I was like, I don't know. I was drunk. (laughs) I've heard people say that you know a New Zealand guy is into you if he makes eye contact for a split second. In other words, he's not going to tell you. You have to intuit it, psychically. But honestly, I don't think us non-blokes are much better, which is why so many of us have historically relied on the courage of alcohol to help us make our move. Up until pretty recently, Aotearoa didn't have a dating culture. What we had instead was drinking culture. First time I kissed someone, I was maybe like 15 or 16. I was drunk. This is Alice Sneddon. She's a comedian, TV writer and actor, and an absolute legend. It may have been a school after ball. Classic. Yeah. Grafton Cricket Club. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) And then I didn't have sex until I was like maybe... 19, again drunk. A lot of my exploits were drunken, like I was not comfortable sexually at all. We'll hear more from Alice later in the series, but it's not just her and Chloe, who we heard before waited till she was 18 and then told her mum. There's also Tom. Dating so was hard when you've only ever had like sex or dates under the influence of like one or 20 beers. And Lorraine. We seem to drink a lot of alcohol. <laughs> There's more of the same from C. I would, I don't know if I would say more discerning, but I was far more cautious about it until I'd had one too many or seven too many. You get the picture. The condom company Durex used to conduct a huge annual worldwide sex survey. Back in 2007, New Zealand led the world in terms of the proportion of people under the influence at first sex. That's their wording. But that's not the only category that we're world leaders on. In another Durex survey, New Zealand women reported having an average of 20.4 sexual partners over their lifetime, compared to the global average of 7.3. And our men came in 11th overall, with an average of 16.8, compared to the global men's average of 13.2. So I would go as far as to cite this as yet another example of New Zealand excellence, except these studies and others have reported that our levels of sexual satisfaction are low. We're either not having as much sex as we want to, or the sex we're having is not hitting the mark. 
An adult toy megastore survey in 2020 found that while 83% of New Zealand men orgasm from sex most or all of the time, only 50% of women did. Now, I get that these aren't exactly peer-reviewed studies. Some might say the companies doing the research have a vested interest in the subject matter. But a lot of this stuff is backed up by actual research. Like the orgasm gap, that's a widely established international phenomena. And a huge 48-nation study of sexual habits in 2005 put New Zealand second in the world in terms of promiscuity after Finland. I haven't even got to the worst part yet. Overall, New Zealanders orgasm less often than Australians. Struth! In summary, there's a lot of people in Aotearoa having average sex. And some of them are having a lot of it. Yeah, even if I was like, it's okay, you know, like I'm not hating this. I was still like, oh, please hurry up and like come so I can literally let you get out of my house or I can leave your place. We met Chloe just before, but it's time to get to know her a bit better. I was just doing it, you know, just for fun, just to like tell stories for my mates. Chloe's 23. She lives in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, but she grew up down south. I grew up in Dunedin, actually. So, yes, a southern gal. <laughs> She's a southern gal. When it comes to, like, sex and relationships and openness, was it like an open family that you grew up with, with this kind of thing? Uh, absolutely not, no. It was very much like sex was a, you know, taboo thing. Um, my mum can't even say the word sex to this day. She spells it out. Like you don't, like... Like she's like, just like, have you had S-E-X? Chloe has had tons of S-E-X, and it's pretty much all been B-A-D. Not only that, she took having bad sex over and over again, and she made it into an art form. And she kept impeccable records. I've slept with 45 men, <laughs> and every single one of them I was like, okay, surely it'll be, like, over now. That's amazing that you know your number. Have you kept a tally? Oh, yeah, I have a list on my phone. Shall we read some out? Absolutely. Beautiful. Okay, so. Just quickly, even though all the sex that Chloe had was bad, it wasn't always the fault of her sexual partners. There was other stuff going on, which we're going to hear about later. So, you know, all bad sex, but not all men. So the list is called The Fuckeries. And I just have how many times I slept with them, which ones, and how I, like, I remember them by. So we've got, oh, goodness, there's quite a few. Is it all men on your list? Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm terrified of vaginas, including my own, so. Even your adventurous spirit can't quite adventure into those frontiers. No, cannot go into the, the cave of wonder. So... Should we pick a number from 1 to 45? Oh, amazing. If you want to do 23. That. 23. Oh, okay. So in my notes, I've got very bitey, um, great bod, and side note, the coconut theory works. What's the coconut so theory? So the coconut theory is when you're on top of a guy and then you swivel your hips and spell out the word coconut. And I think I got up to the second C in coconut and he came. <laughs> and I was like... Thank goodness. Have you got a number? Yeah, let's do 14. 14. This one, he wore his Fitbit during sex. I think it lasted maybe two minutes. He was in a pool of sweat, literally a pool of sweat after he finished and then checked his Fitbit afterwards. It was like, oh, nice. 
So I've got that in as Liz Mills type shit for <laughs> what it is. It's like, nice, got my heart rate up. Yeah. Got my cardio in for the day. Yeah. I actually think it was. It was like a one of those grit classes for him. <laughs> Number two, angry times four. What's the times four? Is that how many times? We've had sex, yeah. <gasps> Fucking Greek god times five. Oh, yeah. That was beautiful. We were in a club and he literally saw me from across the room and was like, oi, you. And I was like, look, I kind of have to. <laughs> it would be rude. Number 21, magic fingers, but a shit root. Ah, oh, yeah. That was one of my baits. We took Ritalin one time and he fingered me for hours. I thought it was incredible. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, maybe the sex will be good. Awful. Number 27 ate me out for like half an hour. Things got weird when he sang me songs on his ukulele and I had to pretend to enjoy it. Oh, I actually shit you not. As soon as he pulled out, grabbed a ukulele and started singing Love, Love, Love from Avalanche City. 8.30 in the morning. Someone just zapped me with some lightning right now. 37, good at sex, quite basic. Promised to get me food and didn't come back. Yeah. 32, great chat. Funny for a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Probably one of my favourite ones. Did anal for four hours while watching Black Mirror. I'll leave you with that. Wow. Oh, no. Oh, Chloe. I only hope none of our listeners have gone through that exact experience, unless Black Mirror and anal is your thing, in which case, no shame, go hard. There's a lot to process in what Chloe just told us, but one thing she said right at the beginning really stuck in my mind. And that was that a lot of the time she had sex so she could tell stories about it later. This is something I've heard a lot, and I don't know if it's specifically a New Zealand thing, having sex for the stories or the anecdotes, sex for the yarns, but I know I did it, and I know a lot of other people who've done it too. I think there's a bunch of reasons why we do it. Because talking this stuff through with our friends is how we figure things out. Even if it seems like a silly or superficial exchange, we actually get a lot of information from how our friends react, or any advice they might give us. And because sex can be really awkward, especially in the early days, and awkward makes for a great story. But there's actually a lot that we don't share. I've had so much sex that has been performance-based and riddled with anxiety. This is Tom. All young men want to be like stallions and to be not talked about as shit lovers. And I think that gets into so many young men's heads is that you have to be able to get your partner off. You have to be an absolute Lothario. You have to like last long. You have to be incredible with your mouth and hands. Super virile, hyper hard man. <laughs> Super virile, hyper hard man. The new Marvel superhero. <laughs> Tom's a little older than Chloe. He's 32, really outgoing, though a little neurotic, and he's a gym junkie who loves music and movies. He looks like a muscly, tough guy, but he's a big softy. And he's bisexual. With all this pressure comes such an enormous level of insecurity that it's so easy to pierce, and it's like, you should in bed. It's like, boom, you're that'll fester in a person's mind. And it comes out in weird ways later on because it just roils around in a person's skull. I think a lot about first sexual experiences for young women and the ways that that is damaging and hard. But, yeah, the pressure on boys to just be amazing and hard and last forever and be able to just pull and know what they're doing. And as a teenager, that's a lot, yeah. 
and that would feed into bad experiences for girls hugely. Absolutely, because... You're not talking to each other. And a lack of communication makes for very poor relationships and sex. You can tell from listening to Tom that his partner's sexual pleasure is important to him, which is awesome. But in the early days, at least, this was more about affirming his ideas of masculinity than anything else. So he was only really halfway there. And it's not his fault. Along with every other teenager Tom had learned from the culture around him, from movies and porn and hearing other people talk, that sex is something that boys do to girls and that girls have done to them. Which obviously is not great for girls, but it's not great for boys either because it means all the pressure of making the experience a good one is on them. It's exhausting and only perpetuates the self-doubt and anxiety, which doesn't make sex fun at all. Hello, I'm 26 years old. I've got a boyfriend of about just over a year or so. And prior to that, I was very single (laughs) and trying to find what was right for me. Which is often like a real hit and miss process. Yeah, especially throughout uni, like studying, it's a pretty chaotic experience. (laughs) This is Charlotte. And up until recently, she was also having sex for the yarns. I pretty much stayed with my high school friends throughout university and we would all just like encourage each other a lot, sleeping with boys and trying to get some attention. (laughs) And we'd all sort of report back the following days like after a night out with our stories. A lot of the time this was really fun. We all just sort of talk about this period, like we laugh about it now as like, oh, what were we doing? We kind of enjoyed it at the time, but also after a little bit we were like, this isn't really that pleasurable or enjoyable for us. This actually reminds me a lot of my early sexual experiences. They weren't exactly bad, well not for the most part, but it was more about the adventure and the thrill of it than any physical pleasure. I guess my first proper sexual experience was in my first year of uni with a guy that I'd known throughout high school and it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like good. <laughs> it was neutral. Yeah. It, was it a, what's, is this what all the fuss is about? Yeah, kind of. I was like, oh, finally I've done it. Like, I don't have to worry about it anymore. But it wasn't like, oh my God, I had the best night ever, you know. But it didn't stay neutral. After that, it became a bit of an awkward situation because we had the same friend group and his friends had heard about it, but he denied it. <laughs> so that was a pretty shitty way for it to sort of come out as well. There's this stereotype that I hate of the broken, promiscuous girl who's looking for love and validation through sex. It's often leveraged against girls and women who are really just exploring their sexuality like boys do. But in Charlotte's case, she was having sex for what she now calls the wrong reasons. I thought I wanted something more with them, and I thought by sleeping with them, that would turn into something else or they'd want to hang out later or something and like that was just never the case and we're never on the same page. That probably went on for like two or three more years. I ended up casually sleeping with the guy from high school occasionally because he flattered with my friends and I would sleep on their couch and then he'd be like oh come sleep in my bed and I was like oh okay I'll (laughs) I'll have sex with you just to sleep in your bed (laughs) and get some attention you know (laughs) which is pretty marginal but It is what it is. You wanted to be close to him and you're like, I'll take these drinks you're offering. Yeah, exactly. But then like every time I would do it, I'd be like, oh, that was shit and it wasn't worth it. 
There are so many people we know who will be having sex and feeling shitty after it. This is Clementine Ford. She's an Australian writer, broadcaster and feminist. And I'm not even talking about people who are experiencing assault, although we know that that happens in extreme numbers too, but just not enjoying it, just not enjoying it for what it is meant to be, which is play. Of course, sex can also be for the continuation of our species via baby-making. But she's right. Sex is play. Of course it is. Otherwise, we wouldn't be motivated to do it and the species would die out. If we were parents of children and we knew that they were going to the playground every day or going to a friend's house to play and always coming home feeling used, shamed in some way, questioning their worth and value, feeling like their friend was mean to them, physically hurt maybe, we would try and get to the bottom of that. We wouldn't accept that, hopefully, for our children. And yet we seem to have this attitude when it comes to sex, particularly when it comes to the experience of everyone who's not a cis man having sex. We are insistent that, well, that's just what sex is. Here's a quick definition in case you don't know. Cis means not trans. So a baby's born, the doctor says, it's a boy, and they grow up to be a man. Or a baby's born and the doctor says, it's a girl, and they grow up to be a woman. That's cis. You're meant to kind of perform it or you're meant to do a good job at it. And the good job is that he comes. We already heard from Tom about the way he was socialised to feel a lot of pressure to perform in sex. That's common for boys. And girls feel that too. But on top of that, they're also taught to be nice, not to offend anybody, and to look after other people before themselves. And we see the effects of that socialisation later on. At the University of Michigan, a researcher named Sarah McClelland found that while women often used their partner's sexual satisfaction as the gauge for their own, so saying things like, if he's satisfied, then I'm sexually satisfied. For men, it was the opposite. Successful sex was when they came. There's a writer called Lily Loughborough who wrote a great article back in 2018 called The Female Price of Male Pleasure. And she basically looks into the extraordinary numbers of girls and women who experience pain during sex, not because they're being explicitly assaulted, but because it's just sort of generically accepted that it's okay for a woman to experience pain during sex as long as he's enjoying himself. She just has to put up with, you know, the fact that she might not be lubricated enough and she may not be confident enough to say, can we use lubrication? Because somehow her body's failure to be automatically primed for sex is reflective of her insufficiency as a woman and as a sexual partner, and it detracts from his enjoyment. And his enjoyment is the prime focus. And the way we frame virginity doesn't help. Even in the cultural narrative of that, we prepare girls for the first time they have sex, presumably with a guy, we prepare for it to hurt. Oh, it always hurts the first time. But then, you know, it, it starts to get better. So even the way that we kind of like introduce sex to girls as a concept is, you are receiving a dick inside you and you're not gonna like it, but you just have to persevere. This isn't the last you're gonna hear from Clem. But after the break, we hear from another kick-ass authority on sex. Today on League of Our Own, we chat with our feline friend, West Tiger and soon-to-be Panther, Isaiah Papali'i. See what I did there, like Larry? Yeah. Like the Warriors are 12 matches down with 12 to go. We talk their season to date, and if they could still land a final spot, 
We preview round 14 with the Waz and Townsville and a whole host of massive matches, including the Bronx and the Sharks. And we are officially in the state of origin window. It's an Australian representative competition, yet Kiwis <laughs> love this thing. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff, wherever you get your podcasts. Sex is my favorite thing to talk about. Super fun. Me too. This is Emily Nagoski. She's a researcher and sex educator, plus she's the author of Come As You Are, which is an iconic sexuality book that's now also a podcast. Emily's super skill is taking complicated science and turning it into little bite-sized bits of information that we can all understand, and also stripping away the stories and myths that we humans love to create to show us the facts. She does this really well with the hymen. I did not know the truth about the hymen until I was already teaching at the college level. And my students asked some really specific questions about the hymen. You know about the hymen, right? Maybe it's not such a big deal these days, although it still is in a lot of cultures and religions. But regardless, we all basically know what it is. The hymen is the piece of skin that goes across the vagina, which transforms the hymen haver from girl to woman upon piercing by a penis. So it turns out the hymen is entirely functionless. It is not a marker of whether or not anything has ever been put into that vagina. Wait, what? It's this totally functionless fold of skin over the mouth of the vagina on a number of people who were born with vaginas. It can be all kinds of different shapes. Yeah, okay, so it can be a bunch of different shapes, but it still basically covers the vagina like a freshness seal, right? Some people have imperforate hymens, which means it's entirely solid. Some people have microperforate hymens, which means it has a lot of small holes. Some people have septate hymens, which means that it's got two holes, and so it appears as like a strand of skin across the mouth of the vagina. Okay, but no matter what shape it is, you can still tell when it's been broken? The hymen is not this, like, mystical thing that magically breaks and is gone forever. There are people who have given birth whose hymens are intact. Like any human skin, if it tears, it heals. And it can't differentiate between a tampon and a penis. It doesn't know whether you have lost your virginity, whatever that even is. This is a lot to process, but the main question here is, how did we come to get so much so wrong? Why? Why does this functionless fold of tissue have so much cultural weight attached to it? It's because... In the Western world, the English-speaking history, women's bodies were the property of their fathers and then of the men who purchased them or who agreed to take on responsibility for them. And the hymen was decided to be an indicator of purity. They would 
have evidence that any children this woman bore would be their genetic progeny and they wouldn't be investing their parental resources into a human who was not their child. All this is inferred from a fold of skin over the mouth of the vagina. And it doesn't, there's no relationship. None. Maybe this doesn't seem like such a big deal. But if the hymen can't tell us whether someone is sexually active or not, what does that mean for virginity? A lot of us were taught that someone's a virgin when their hymen's intact. Now we know that's not true. So let's regroup. A virgin is someone who hasn't had sexual intercourse yet. But then I guess that depends on how you define sexual intercourse. Okay, I know what you're thinking. It's when a penis goes inside a vagina. But then... What does that mean for lesbians? Are we now saying that a lesbian who slept with 300 women is still a virgin? Or does it not have to be an actual penis, like a penis-shaped object will do, a dildo or a vibrator? But then fingers don't count? That's an interesting distinction. Okay, what if you're bisexual and your first sexual encounter is with someone of the same sex? Did that not count? Like, not until you've had sex with someone with different genitals? What if you're the victim of sexual assault before you've had a chance to step into sexuality on your own terms? Is that it? Your virginity's gone? Your value is decreased, even though you had no say in the matter? Are we all seeing how ridiculous this all sounds? That's because it is. Virginity isn't real. It's a social construct. Maybe you've heard that before, and maybe you totally get it, but for a long time, I didn't. So just in case. Everything you believe about virginity, about what it is, what it means, how important it is, you learned that from your parents, your church, maybe your friends or family or the culture around you. And if you stripped away all of those things, you might be left with something very different. It might not even be significant at all. Virginity is no one solid, fact-based thing. Even the old fail-safe, the hymen, is a totally inaccurate measure. And if we didn't get the hymen right, and virginity isn't real, what else might we have wrong? Literally everything you were taught early in your life, like in the first 20 years about sex, uh, was fundamentally both wrong and wrong-headed, and we need to start from scratch. Let's go back to Charlotte, who was taking whatever scraps she was given from any boy that looked her way in the hopes one of them might wake up and realise how great she was. I've been there, Charlotte. Well, at some point, probably later than she would have liked, she realised that this wasn't working out for her. Yeah, it's like, uh, this is actually causing me some trauma. Like, <laughs> It's yeah. not really worth it. And actually, the sex she was having was physically harming her. Remember before when Clementine talked about how girls are conditioned to grin and bear it, even when they're in pain? That's what was happening with Charlotte. I knew this other guy that I liked, and then one night I went back to his place and actually had a really bad time. Like, he was a lot bigger, but just not very, like, careful at all. And, like, I bled all through his bed and, like, on his pillow and stuff. It was just a really shit experience. They didn't use any lubrication. And in case you missed what Charlotte was just saying, he wasn't very careful. I'd sent him a message on Facebook a few days later, and he was like, oh, sorry, I didn't reply. I was cleaning your blood off my pillow. That really, like, tainted it for me. And, like, he would still bring it up to my friends when I wasn't there, like, a year later. And they'd be like, what the fuck? 
It was after years of this kind of experience that Charlotte decided she just couldn't do it anymore. I think I just had, like, an aversion to penetrative sex. So then after that, I was like, oh, it's abstinence time. (laughs) Like, this is what I'm doing now. But it was actually good for me that I just was like, oh, I'm actually not missing having those random hookups and dealing with guys who are assholes and having bad sex. (laughs) Yeah. No sex is better than bad sex. Exactly. So she started from scratch, just like Emily Nagoski suggested. Charlotte took a year off sex to figure out what she wanted and needed from a sexual relationship. Eventually, I figured out, like, I don't think that I would be able to have enjoyable sex without having, like, an emotional connection with someone as well. Now, not everyone's like this, but a lot of people are. In a study by Pfizer in 2006, 57% of women and 54% of men said emotional closeness is the most important part of sex for them. Our gym bunny mate, Tom, is kind of like this too. He really needs to feel comfortable with the people he's sleeping with in order to relax and really enjoy himself. But while Charlotte figured out her stuff from taking a sex break, he figured it out in an orgy. I actually realised by sleeping with multiple people at the same time that I like the intimacy of sex rather than like trying to be this person that I thought I had to be, which was this, you know, sexual dynamo. And that was incredibly relieving to be like, you know what? Not feeling it. When Emily Nagoski said to start from scratch, she didn't just leave us hanging there. She had some really great practical advice for how to do this. In your process of starting from scratch, start from here. Center pleasure. And I know this is not as straightforward as it sounds because I have had plenty of people, particularly people who were raised as girls, who tell me that they can't even recognize pleasure because so much of the feminine cultural messaging is about like your partner's pleasure is so much more important than yours. And so when you're in an experience with a partner, all your attention is focused on whether or not they're having a good time. Are their expectations being met? Or is your body doing the things that it should be doing? And how do you look? And and are you putting on a good show for them? So much so that you have no attention left for even noticing what the experience feels like. So there are a lot of people who get to adulthood who don't even know what sexual pleasure feels like. And that's step one. What does it feel like inside your body when you experience pleasure? How do you feel about the pleasure that your body is capable of? After her year of abstinence, Charlotte met someone she really liked. They took it slowly. We had sort of been like friends and hanging out for a while. I would sleep over at his flat all the time, but not do anything with him. Sort of started like kissing and stuff a bit more. Even then, they didn't rush it. We were just doing other things and still both having orgasms, but not having like penetrative sex. So like, we were both happy with that and didn't really feel like a super rush to be having penetrative sex all the time. We just made it work without that. And eventually, once some trust was built, and with the help of some lube, they tried penetrative sex. It just took a few months of getting used to each other and figuring out how to make it better for both of us that I think, well, he was having a good time always, but like to make it better for me. And they got there. Sex is now great for them both. Yes. I also thought I was like never going to be someone who would have an orgasm through penetration, but that's happened as well, so I'm like... Oh, that's really cool. (laughs) 
I was sleeping with all these men and thinking that everyone else around me also didn't enjoy sex. We're back with Chloe now, who had that list of fuckeries with the Black Mirror anal guy and Fitbit guy. And then my friends were like, no, we have sex because we enjoy it. And I was like, oh, you don't just wait for the guy to finish and then tell him to leave at three in the morning. They're like, no, if we like them, we go see them again. When I hang out with them, want to have sex with them regularly. This is when Chloe got a really important piece of information that she had been missing, that if sex isn't feeling good, then something isn't right. One of my friends, she was like, well, you do know that sleeping with men, if you don't like enjoy it and you're not getting kind of any emotional value out of it, is a form of self-harm. And so I was like, okay, yeah. And she was like, do you have any like, you know, emotions towards these men? I was like, no, I can't remember their names half the time. That's why I have the list. Finally, after one of these chats, a friend suggested that she Google asexuality. Researched it and I was like, okay, this makes me feel a lot better. Like a light bulb like dinged in my head when I put the label on it. Someone who's asexual has an absent or low interest in or desire for sexual activity. Noticed I said absent or low interest. This is the thing people get wrong. They think it's a lack of sexual desire. Here's Emily Nagoski again. That's not what it is. There are ace folks who have sexual desire. Ace is shorthand for asexual. They are arousable. They may masturbate. They are interested and curious about sex. They're just not attracted to anyone in the way a gay person is attracted to people of the same sex and straight people are attracted to people of a different sex and bi plus folks are interested in people regardless of their gender. So it's, an, it's a sexual orientation. And, surprise, surprise, it's a spectrum containing a whole lot of sub-identities which manifest in different ways. There's aromantic, demisexual, reciprosexual, autocorisexual. I'm not going to define all of those words right now, but they serve a really important purpose. There's an asex educator named Aubrey Lancaster who says that the purpose of a label is to communicate boundaries and needs. There was recently a time where I was hooking up with a guy at a party, just making out and stuff like that. This is Chloe again. And then he came back here and I was like, oh, just so you know, like, we won't be having sex then um, because I'm asexual. And he went, asexual what? So I had to, like, explain that to him. But it was, you know, it was actually quite understanding, which was quite nice. But just explaining to people, like, just because I make out with you doesn't mean I want to sleep with you and putting that boundary in. This stuff is still pretty fresh for Chloe. She's still figuring it all out. Yeah, I feel like I'm probably on a journey of like self-discovery and just want to be like alone, you know, for a good year or two. I don't want to have sex with anyone. I don't want to be with anyone. It feels like a big weight's been lifted off my shoulders. I'm like, oh, I can relax now. Like I don't have to go with any societal pressures of having sex, you know, just for the sake of it. I could just not have sex purely because I don't want to. That's okay. Like, it's not going to affect anyone else. For Chloe, her ideal sexual future looks like... Never having sex again. And maybe, for me personally, like, I don't mind being fingered, but that's probably, like, as far as I'd go. And she would like to end up in a romantic relationship one day. Yeah, I mean... I'm hoping so. It's kind of like an underlying thing where you have to have sex if you're in a relationship. So I want to like kind of break that barrier. But actually, like, no, the relationship doesn't have to be based on sex. Like, we can just get to know each other intimately in other ways, like emotionally and spiritually and stuff like that, rather than physically. Like, it doesn't all have to be physical. Maybe I've, you know, just got to realise that I'm more than a whole. <laughs> 
We're all on a journey to realise <laughs> yeah. we're more than a whole. Yes. Do you think that your friend was right, though, that you were harming yourself? At- oh, 100%, yes. Yeah, definitely. Because I'd sleep with two guys in one night, you know, just so I could tell my friends a story and then just so I didn't have to, like, be alone with my thoughts and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, definitely agree that I was self-harming by sleeping with these men. I feel like it needed to happen for me to realise. Yeah, definitely some absolute horror stories in there, but I feel like it built my character and got me to where I am today in a weird kind of way. (laughs) Surprisingly good, very confused now. Number 44, boring, just about fell asleep while he was inside me. The final entry in Chloe's list of fuckeries, maybe the last time she'll ever have penetrative sex, is from December 2022. (laughs) 45 men and counting yet to come from one of them, now a sexual lull, is how it ends. (laughs) Let's finish now by checking in with Tom. We are actually going to hear from Tom again in later episodes, but the next part of his story is good to hear here. Because it takes us full circle back to the beginning of this episode, where we talked about how New Zealand didn't have a dating culture, we had drinking culture. How long have you been sober for? Five years. All through his 20s, Tom was drinking a lot. But he was surrounded by drinkers, so it took him a while to twig to the fact that he had a problem. He did get there, though. I didn't leave the house for so long. In fact, when I got sober, I lost my sex drive for about eight months. Cool. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, this is great. Maybe I'm asexual. And I was like, oh, well, maybe it'll never come back. Not asexual, just in recovery and in touch with what his body was actually feeling for the first time in ages. It humbles you real quick. Um, But then you do take the pressure off yourself, um, which leads to better, more intimate sex and relationships because you are more in the moment and more attuned to what you're really feeling and you're able to express that more. Sobriety sobriety didn't fix anything in me uh, when it came to relationships. It just gave me the painful clarity to have to deal with my bullshit, which is kind of the only way you can get to grips with it rather than like bearing it under drugs and alcohol, that sort of thing. More on how Tom dealt with his bullshit in the next episode. Inevitably, when I start rabbiting on about sex again, there's a handful of people who want to tell me that these conversations should be private. And I totally get that. This stuff is so personal. And if you don't want to talk about it, I get it. That's all good. But I do think it's important to make space for the people who do want to talk. Like Charlotte. I want to be able to support people who are in like that in-between phase of being like, I'm not having a good time. Not talking about it is how we end up with a whole lot of lonely and confused, ashamed people. Because I think for me, I was like, it seems like everyone's having a really good time. I'm having a shit time. Not talking about it is why stories and myths, like the ones we've learned about the hymen and virginity, are allowed to flourish. And heaps of other stories like that. Like the ones that tell us a good girl is pure and virginal and a real man is... Oh God, what did I say? Super virile, hyper hard man... Stories that can make us feel like if we're not into sex, we're not normal. Or if we're really into sex, we're not normal. Or that if sex sucks, it's probably your fault for doing it wrong. When we start to talk about these things, we begin to realise that like virginity, normal is also a social construct. 
there are as many ways to do sex and love as there are people on this earth. And no matter what you're struggling with or what you're into, you're not alone. We're all just as weird and confused and messed up as each other, just trying our best with the few tools we've been given. I think uh, if I went back to my younger self, I would somehow try to convince me to stop giving a fuck about what others thought, that what I thought about myself was the most important thing. Being nice to yourself is important, communicating is important, but I think I would say that your self-worth is not measured in what you look like or how many people you've slept with. Your self-worth should be measured by how much you like yourself and also how nice you are or kind to others. And I think once, you know, they're no longer metrics that you can tick off, like notches on a bedpost or inches on a ruler, then your life becomes infinitely better. I told you at the beginning of this episode that together we're going to find out what good sex is, what good relationships are, and how to get those things. Well, it's only the end of episode one, so we've got a lot to learn yet, and a lot of incredible experts to hear from. But every person is an expert when it comes to their own experience, so I wanted to make sure I asked everyone I spoke to what good sex means to them. To wrap up this episode, here's Charlotte, Chloe, and Tom. Good sex to me now looks like just an intimate experience with my partner. Combining together to have this beautiful connection. Having an understanding of what you want and realising that it doesn't have to conform. Rather than being like a Hollywood action movie. Being comfortable with your own definition and enjoyment of sex. Different forms of intimacy. Like laughter, having fun. Having fun. Regardless if it's physical or not. And not having to justify that to anyone else. Coming up in the next episode of The Good Sex Project. We follow some more wonderful humans on their good sex journeys. It just really kind of was like a moment. Covering terrain both weird and wonderful. It's definitely silent, incredibly awkward, way colder than you'd ever like. My hairy tummy is quite mask, actually, and my big butt is nice. I've gotten good feedback on that. <laughs> and expert advice on how to treat the most important sexual partner you'll ever have. I think a lot of people really rush towards their penis or their clitoris when they are masturbating and they don't learn about all the other parts of their body that do actually feel incredible. Thank you for listening to The Good Sex Project, a series made with the support of New Zealand On Air. If you want to get in touch with me or with the team, please send us a message. You can do that on Instagram at goodsexproject or email goodsexproject at gmail.com. We love to hear from you, and we are preparing for a second season. So get in touch if you have something you really want to hear about or if you have a story of your own to share. And of course, if you're enjoying the series, tell your friends and give us some stars and some nice words on your favourite podcast platform. The Good Sex Project was written and developed by me, Melody Thomas. Our producer and audio editor is Kirsten Johnstone from Popsock Media. Phil Brownlee recorded me in the studio, and our sound mix is by Mark Chesterman. The beautiful soundtrack music is by Paddy Fred, with additional music by the Wellington band Womb. Find both of them on Bandcamp. This week on The Girls Uninterrupted. I'm not having a go, I'm just saying. No, you saying can, you can. But I would never put them on my feet. <laughs> it is a crop phone. To, it's 100% yeah. a crop She's, phone. And you are the biggest against Crocs. I actually okay. really like it. I just think that you need to now say Crocs are cool. 
No, I don't. No, no. <laughs> it's giving hypocrisy. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. The Girls Uninterrupted is proudly brought to you by our mates at Unichem and Life Pharmacy. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.